Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Earlier on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. All right, we're hanging out live at the NFL Combine. Stephen Holder, ESPN. Uh, he'll join us coming up at 8 o'clock. Scott Agnes was in Assembly Hall last night for the pulling of the fire alarm. So we'll talk with him about that. Obviously, uh, all the Pacers stuff. Pacers in action tonight. Our coverage beginning at 7 o'clock on the fan. And Dane Brugler going to join us here uh, on set from The Athletic. Uh, we'll talk about uh, things he's heard over the last uh, 48 hours or so. What he thinks the Colts will do coming up at 15. Now, I was able to keep this to 740, okay? We have not talked about what I think is the biggest story locally, especially the biggest social story locally here in Indianapolis. Notre Dame beating Wake Forest <laughs> and not storming the floor Wait, last did they, night. Wait, they beat Wake Forest last night? Hell yeah, night? they beat them. Well, look at you. That's a, that's a good win. Notre Dame is playing good basketball right now. That's a terrible loss for Wake Forest, too. They just beat Duke. They stormed the floor. That sounds like a they, bad compliment. They, they, that's a terrible is, loss for Notre Dame. It is. I mean, that, by the way, low-key, because I I didn't want to make it sound like this, but Wisconsin, you know, I, I used the you know, last year Louisville beat Clemson. Louisville so bad that it knocked Clemson out of the tournament. That's not what last night was for Wisconsin, but that's not a good loss when it comes to selection Sunday, uh, losing to Indiana. Anyway, we'll get back to your Wake Forest game against Notre Dame here in a second. I mean, the big the, the big news, and I didn't even see this. It was on Monday. Anthony Richardson's engaged. Yes, and he's going to be a father, correct? And, and he's going to be a father. Yeah, and double whammy. And get this, his fiance has his has her last name's Richardson as well. Did you know that? Oh, Jaden no. Richardson. Okay, so uh, like she has not <laughs> taken his last name. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess she can, but her name's already Richardson. Wow. Okay, and no family like if, tree ties. Yeah, I like if Maddie's name was Bowen. I mean, it's yeah. like, what's well, just two Bowens? Like that's an odd thing, don't you? Have to, you, you don't have to look see at, that very often. No, you you never see that. Like you literally never see that. I don't know the 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 last time that I've ever seen something like Shout that. Shout out to Anthony Richardson. So how about that? We'll see if we get anything uh, from Chris Bauer Chain second today on you Richardson. Think, you think they'll be asked about that? The, the engagement. At, of uh, I would Richardson? hope not. Uh, I would hope the person. Well, someone stuff needs to get up there. Come on. Could stay to the side there. Uh, before we get into a little bit more of the combine centric stuff, I do want to uh, bring up this Pacers stat I saw. Caitlin Cooper does an outstanding job going really in depth, frankly, on the Pacers. A lot of her stuff, I'm like, that is so far over my head. I don't even know where, where to begin on that. But she had a note exiting Monday's game against Toronto that to me is beyond alarming. Okay. The Pacers, according to her, gave up 33 points off cuts to the Toronto Raptors. I think, you know, us here in the state of Indiana, we all can realize what a good cut is to the basket and, you know, the fundamental element of what that brings there. Okay, so what does 33 points mean off cuts in an NBA game? According to Caitlin Cooper, that is the most any team has allowed off of cuts in a game this season. Any NBA team has allowed in any game this season. To provide a little bit more context around that, the two worst teams in the NBA defending the ability to cut would be the Hawks and the Wizards. They allow, uh, allow an average of 
12 and a half points per game. So okay, the, you, you don't want to be in a conversation with those two teams. Well, and, I mean, and, let's just be honest. And frankly, for that Monday night, you weren't in a conversation. You no, you were. Oh, yeah, you killed that, them. Yeah. I mean, almost triple that. And she put out about a two-minute clip of these plays, and it's a lot of what you would think. It's a lot of guys just losing their man off the ball, no recognition of where the ball is, flat-footed, uh, multiple steps slow, ball watching. I'd like to chalk a lot of that up to the second night of a back-to-back, but I think that's a really easy cop-out and excuse, and I can't totally go there. It was just, frankly, pretty pathetic to watch. And we had Rick Carlisle on yesterday. We talked about the 78 points mm-hmm. in the paint, obviously. These cuts yeah. are a huge, huge chunk of that. But, you know, Andy, I just have higher expectations for a team that I feel like is made up of a lot of really strongly basketball IQ guys. And to me, the ability to defend off the ball, not ball watch, you know, know where your man is, don't lose sight of your man. It was Princeton backdoor stuff all night long on Monday night against the Raptors. So we talk about the defensive issues, and it's continued, and the Raptors scored more points than they have in you know, 21 straight games on Monday night. That, to me, is a pretty ugly stat, but a pretty telling stat of some of the issues for this team the other night. Well, I wonder why... I wonder what they think they can do to get better, and I just wonder why, because they're not a young team, right? It's not like you have a bunch of guys who left college after a year, right, and who are 20 years old, and you're just your roster is filled with 20-year-olds. I, I, I don't understand the unevenness defensively, and I'm not – listen, I understand back-to-backs are difficult – I understand this team specifically has struggled with back-to-backs. But, you know, I always say this when, when um, oh, like a look-ahead game. You know when teams are always like, you know, we were looking ahead. This team talked about going into the Raptor game. They talked about how, you know, they mentioned this on the Bally's broadcast time and time again, how the team got together. How Rick Carlisle talked about this and how these were the type of games that they need to win if they're going to be a top six seed or, in their mind, a top four seed. So a team can't sneak up on you if your entire pregame speech and your entire pregame routine is about not letting them walk in and beat you, right? Like, that's my thing. And I thought, like, even Back to even back to Nemhard, who is their best on-ball defender. I thought he was bad against the Raptors. I mean, there's so many times where you know uh, they were just going right around him. Then you get into the teeth of the defense. Someone has to step up. There's open guys. I mean, Grady Dick was wide open, or you throw it underneath to somebody else who is laying it in. I, I, I don't. It's got to be frustrating for Rick Carlisle, and I think that's probably why you look at a guy like Aaron Neesmith and say. When he's back, he is going to start and he's going to play so many of those critical minutes because he at least alleviates some of that. He doesn't fix it, but he helps it. And, and again, watching these cut-ups that Caitlin had, there was no dominant culprit. Everybody no, was it's at everybody. fault. And I think what's frustrating about Monday, Andy, is it's one thing to get out-athleted on the perimeter. Like, when you're on an island in today's NBA, it can be difficult to keep some of these elite. I mean, Scotty Barnes is a great, great young player and very athletic and very long and strong, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, getting beat off cuts, that's just a lack of recognition. That's just a lack of discipline, frankly. And, again, that element I expect better. Um, To me, it's not just the 
hey, you've got trouble being out on an island and uh, you need help and all of a sudden, you know, that guy's beat you and you're in a poor position and you foul or you get beat. You know, if you watch some of these plays, it's not like these guys are simply going 100 and, you know, 30% with these cuts and they're just, you know, oh my gosh, freaks of nature athletically and you can't do anything about it. Uh, so I think that'll be something to keep an eye on certainly tonight. Again, I'll echo uh, as a huge Matherin guy. I still think you start Neesmith. I like Matherin controlling that second unit from a scoring standpoint a little bit more. I think it's important to make sure your starting unit sets the tone defensively as much as it can. And it still keeps Matherin in a very, I think, more of a natural role for him as being the kind of the ball-dominant guy as that score. Again, we are live here at the NFL Combine. Uh, continued uh, people starting to uh, trickle in here. Uh, things really pick up around 8 a.m. at the Combine from a uh, players meeting the media standpoint, defensive guys. Again, Chris Ballard at 1.30 today, Shane Steichen at 3.30. You asked me earlier about, you know, what do I think we could hear today. I want to go back to yesterday. Okay. When you had a couple of different guys, um, different GMs around the league with free agent franchise tag candidates meet the media and their tone with their respective players sounded a lot like what I think Chris Ballard could sound like today. You had Brett Veach talking about Legereus Sneed for those that watched the Chiefs playoff run, the young corner who's really emerged for them. He mentioned to him, we're prepared to use it. Although the thought is a long time, long-term deal is still possible. Um, again, you've got six days left in this franchise tag window. Eric DaCosta with the Ravens, uh, with Justin Matabike, one of the better uh, defensive players, certainly. Same thought. If we don't get a long-term deal done by next Tuesday, we will tag him. That's the question and the type of answer I think we could see from Ballard today, which, again, is different than how Cincinnati has reacted to the T. Higgins situation. Right. You haven't heard that type of quote from them, and that's where I think things differ with some of these franchise tag guys is, all right, we're back. All right, back. We're talking Michael Pittman. I, Somebody I think- pull the fire alarm here. <laughs> What what trouble do you get in for doing that? Do you get in more trouble streaking during a game or pulling a fire alarm I, at Assembly uh, Hall? I don't know. Trespassing on the floor, like tampering with, like, I, I, I don't know what, what you call the fire alarm, but aren't you tampering with something like yeah. you shouldn't be yeah. touching? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. But don't we know what we're going to get? I mean, Pittman, they love Pittman. Well, are we uh, going to get the Bengals tone? Or? Oh, no, you're not going to get the Bengals tone. I, I don't think so. I, I don't Because view... that would be a huge. Oh, that would be a massive story if that were the case. If they were thinking, oh, well, we may have one more time around the sun with Michael Pittman. I don't view it that way. I, I view them, if they use the franchise tag, I think to me this becomes a story. If they use the franchise tag, and we are now into the season, and you know how people get within the season that, you know, sometimes, you know, we're not going to talk about it after the season. I could see Pittman say, well, I'm going to wait to after the season. I think part of it is, does Pittman want to see, you know, the free agent market? You know, this could be, this would be his prime time to see the free agent market. I just, I just don't see that. If they do franchise tag him, I just got to feel like they're doing so so they can work something out. I, I just I can't believe we will live in a world where Michael Pittman would not be uh, on this football team past this season. Now, I wanted to bring up 
A lot of the Chiefs writers I saw yesterday on Legereus Sneed, again, they're really good young corner. They think there's a chance that there is a trade out there for him. Again, the Chiefs want to bring back, and if you watch the Super Bowl, they need to bring back Chris Jones. That number is going to be massive. That number could be uh, up over 30 mil. They did this a couple years ago as well with D. Ford. Do you remember D. Ford? Uh, they drafted D. Ford. Uh, they had him on the franchise tag, and they eventually got a second-round pick for him. And so, you know, I was even going to bring up with Legereus Sneed with that, you know, I mean, that, that that to me is a really good player. Is that somebody uh, you could see uh, Chris Ballard in the Colts having any interest in? I don't think that would be the case. I, I would imagine, uh, you know, you would have to give up something uh, to get him, but it's a, and you'd have to pay him, right? You'd have to give up something and you'd have That's to bring, double whammy. it's a double whammy. You'd have to bring a contract, but uh, I find it interesting because because, you know, the Chiefs made it, I, I think pretty much made it known that, listen, we're going to tag him, but we're also accepting trade offers. I don't feel that way with Pittman. Again, I feel like the tag is going to be used to figure something out long term with him. I don't see it as we're going to tag him and then see if someone on the on the market wants him and wants to make a trade or like the Bengals are doing and saying, yeah, we're going to tag him and this is going to be our kind of kind of our one one year, one last chance to go with this thing, to go with the Super Bowl with T. Higgins. I don't see it that way either. I had a laugh yesterday. I was listening to Raheem Morris's press conference. Uh, obviously, the new Falcons head coach. And, and by all accounts, well, in my opinion, I think he was the runner-up to Shane Steichen here in Indianapolis. And it, it was interesting listening to him, and it was a bit refreshing to hear his candor. He had a quote uh, on the late, quarterbacks late in his presser where all of a sudden he goes, um, if we had better Q- <laughs> QB play last year, I'm not standing at this podium. He's probably not standing there. Yeah. And I'm like, damn, what an enlightening, candid comment. If you're Taylor Heineke and Desmond Ritter, you probably don't feel too good no. about hearing that. And it's probably an indicator. Well, two things was my initial thought on it. One. A pencil in the Hawk, or Hawks, pencil in the Falcons for doing quarterback at eight or Justin Fields trade, whatever. They're going to do something of note here this offseason, which, again, if they take quarterback at eight, that's good news for the Colts because it pushes more guys down the board. Two, that's the loss that has to frustrate Colts fans the most. Oh, it's the one year. that ended the season. No, I mean, it was 29 terrible. 29-10. They got and blown out. If you win that game, week 18 doesn't matter. I mean, because you would have been, over, been in over Pittsburgh there in that season finale, and Atlanta had won one game in the final like five or six weeks. That was the one win. And it was a no-show. I yeah, mean, that, that, that's no one of the things the Colts did not have last year was a group of no-shows. Which, that was a no-show. And that was a Michael Pittman Jr. Out yes, it was. With the concussion there. So talk about some leverage for number 11. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, we're hanging out live from the NFL Combine. KB and 80 wake-up call here on 93.5107.5. The Fan, a couple different things coming your way. Reminder, at 8.30, uh, Scott Agnes will join us. Fieldhouse Files, he was uh, in attendance last night in Bloomington. Someone pulled the damn fire alarm, so we'll get his thoughts on that. And then, obviously, Pacers back in action tonight. Our coverage, nationally televised game. You watch it on ESPN. You got the Bally's broadcast. You can hear it right here. Tip-off at 7.30. 
30-hour coverage on the fan beginning at 7 o'clock. And Dane Brugler from The Athletic, he'll join us coming up at 940. All right, let's go on out to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Stephen Holder joining us from ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com. In the last uh, 30 hours or so, he has a story up there on Michael Pittman Jr., the franchise tag, uh, and much more. And Stephen, good morning. We were just talking about Michael Pittman Jr., obviously, what will... Uh, be said about him today by Chris Ballard and by Shane Steichen. Uh, looking at your piece and just uh, also uh, the reporting you've done on Michael Pittman Jr., what do you believe to be true? What do you think happens here uh, not only over the next couple days but perhaps the next couple months as these negotiations are going to be a little difficult for Chris Ballard, I would imagine? Yeah, I, I think they will be trickier than, than most people realize. You know, there's a sentiment out there that, oh, well, obviously they're going to resign him and, and this will be, this is a no-brainer. I mean, I agree they should, and I think it should be a no-brainer. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Uh, they, this is a lot of money. Michael Pittman has made his wishes clear. Uh, he wants to cash in, which is totally fine. I mean, what's the point of free agency if not to make a lot of money, right? So he has earned that right. He waited. He did what he had to do. He has been unquestionably their top weapon. So there's really no discussion here as that, as far as that aspect of it. But I, I really think this thing at this point, to me, I don't see any way this doesn't result in a franchise tag. Uh, because if you're, if you're serious about retaining the player, you have a player who has told you, yeah, I'd really like to test the market and see what's out there. And then you know that there are, there are a number of teams with a significant amount of cap space. So given all of that, uh, how, are you, how are you not going to utilize the tool that, that, has given you, that gives you the biggest advantage uh, that I can think of in team sports from a contractual perspective to basically do what you need to do? Uh, this is exactly why the franchise tag exists, in my opinion, uh, even though as a player I would hate it, but as a team, I get it, and this is exactly what it's for in my, in my estimation. So we'll see what happens, but, but that's the way I see it going. Yeah, I think that's really well said. Again, six days away from that franchise tag window closing. Chris Ballard, 1.30 today. Shane Steichen, 3.30 today. If I put Pittman Jr. to the side, Stephen, uh, biggest question for either of those two guys besides Michael Pittman Jr.? Uh, well, I think uh, Chris Ballard won't answer this, but – but I think we can ask the question, like, what is your disposition heading into free agency and, and the offseason generally? Because I do think it's interesting. They're a team right now that is in kind of an interesting position. Uh, they, have, they have an opportunity here to take another step, but, but they have to be intentional about it. And it's not going to just happen organically. It will to a degree, I think, because the quarterback improvement you you assume will happen. But you also have a, a very dangerous team in Houston. Uh, you have you know you have Jacksonville that's still trying to figure out what they want to do, but has a lot of talent. So you know you're, the division now has turned into something completely different. Doug Peterson talked about this. Jaguars head coach talked about this yesterday, and I was I took note when he was. Speaking, and he said, you know, this division. He said, though, you know, this, we got, we might have got more than we bargained for, you know, going to Jacksonville as a staff because of this division. And I think he's right. So the point is, if you're the Colts, you can't necessarily take the approach of, well, we're you know, we're slowly building. You are, 
you always are, but they're also in a position where some of their, their veterans, they're getting older, and windows don't stay open for long, okay? There's a lot of teams in the NFL we can ask about that. I mean, ask the Tennessee Titans about that. Ask them about how long windows stay open, because the answer is not long. Stephen Holder with us here on the fan. He joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I would imagine, Stephen, you'll be down here later on today. Again, Shane Steichen uh, and Chris Ballard both meeting with the media. And then Shane Steichen uh, supposed to go on with JMV. I would imagine that would be later part of the 3 o'clock hour uh, into the 4 o'clock hour there. I want to go back to Pittman. Just one item. Do you think... Do you think, you know, let's say they put the franchise tag on him, obviously working towards that long-term deal. You know, right. we saw Jonathan Taylor, that saga get done in the middle of the season. Sometimes players and sometimes teams don't want to do something in the middle of a season. If Pittman gets franchise tagged, do you think they'll wait till after the season, during the season? How do you think that will look? It's, it's too early to say, but... I think there's an acknowledgement, and Michael Pittman has said this uh, publicly. He has said that you know the franchise tag is is kind of a it can be at least a, a precursor to you you know continuing to work toward a deal. So I, I think that's where his head would go if he was franchised. He would look at it as an opportunity to keep working on a deal. It doesn't mean you like it. I think he just acknowledges, yeah, that's very possible. You know, and he understands that possibility going in. You might as well not dance around it. You know, it, it's it's very likely to happen. So, so yeah, I mean, you have to keep working. Now, you can't you can't let it get to end the season because at that point you can't really negotiate a long term contract uh, under the terms of the the franchise player agreement, if I understand correctly. So he would he would end up playing on if it got to that point where we get to the season. Then he's in, then he's going to end up playing on a one year deal uh, on the franchise tag. Now, at that point, yes, you have to wait till after the season. But presumably, if they don't franchise him again, under that scenario, he'd be a free agent, unrestricted free agent, and and then it's you know it becomes a bonanza for him. Again, Stephen Holder is with us here. Thanks about to pick up Colts Wise coming up later today. We are live at the convention center here for the 2024. Combine, Stephen. Someone sent me a, a, a note the other day. Okay, if they re-sign the big four free agents—Pittman Jr., Grover Stewart, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman—obviously those are four guys that I think we all would consider pretty good players for this team. You could argue they're top ten Colts, frankly. And I don't right. think there's a lot of answers behind them necessarily to pass the torch to. But if you do that, you eat up a large, large amount of yeah. your cap space. Would you be running it back too much and maybe putting too much pressure? On Anthony Richardson, personally, I think it's a great question. How would you react to such a comment like that? Well, there there is truth to that. Look, I mean, cap space sounds great, but depending on how you structure these contracts and, and given the way the Colts have structured their contracts over the years, a lot of it will get eaten up quickly, more, more quickly than people think. So it's not going to be as easy as, as – I mean, I'm not saying that they they don't have the means. They have the means to do what they need to do. All I'm saying is we shouldn't assume, like, oh, they can re-sign all their guys and they still have plenty of money to go sign multiple other big-ticket guys. That is not necessarily true. So I agree with, with that proposition. And I think for them, the question has to become, who can you live without 
Um, and, and this is why you have to set parameters on, on what those contracts can look like and what you're willing to pay. You have to set those parameters now before the negotiations. Now, obviously, there's wiggle room because it you know, just depends on, on how things go. But you have to set those parameters because you have other priorities that you have to attend to. So as, as they likely to return, all of a sudden you see that they walk. Well, if, if it got outside of the team's parameters for what they were hoping to pay, sometimes you've got to make those tough decisions. So we'll see. I, I think there's a way to do it all. But it, it doesn't mean they're going to overextend themselves either. Kenny Stephen Holder from ESPN, one of his latest pieces on Michael Pittman Jr., that franchise tag window, again, six days away from coming to a close. We're live here at the Combine, defensive prospects starting to meet the media. Workouts will begin tomorrow for those guys, and those will span uh, each of the next four days starting on Thursday. Stephen, a question that I have for Chris Ballard here either today or when he joins us on the show tomorrow morning. I don't know if I have a great feel on how he views his tight end position. Like Part right. of me thinks he kind of views it a little bit more optimistically than some others might. He's invested, I would say, a good amount in tight end. I mean, when you think about it, they've spent in the last three drafts, they spent four picks in the middle-ish rounds on tight ends. Third round, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, like, you know, one yeah. in each of those rounds. So, um, I, I guess, is that a question that you have? And do you have any inkling on, on how Ballard feels about that group? Uh, so, first off, to, I'll answer your second question first. I, I, I don't have a, an explicit answer in terms of how he feels, but my sense, just reading between the lines, my sense is that, He's, he's very high on those guys. Now, I don't have a big problem with that perspective. The only thing I would say, though, is that you are, you, you are banking a lot of that on, on upside and, and guys that are unproven. It doesn't mean they won't be good players. I actually think they have a lot of talent in that room. But they don't have a, a proven dynamic tight end. That is not true. I think they have potentially dynamic tight ends. They have to do it. They have to prove it. I think collectively they got a lot out of that group. I credit Shane Steichen for a lot of that. And I give the guys credit too. What I'm saying is, you know, he, he knows how to utilize. Shane knows how to utilize that group and get a lot out of them. So it, it kind of helped accelerate the process for some of those guys. But I still think we have a lot more to learn about that group. I also think that if you if they had a really dynamic tight end, um, I think that with Shane Steichen, you would see a lot of creative usage of that player. So, uh, you know, I think it's a position they have to keep looking at. Uh, I, I talked about this with the midday show yesterday. One of the things that I, I think the Colts take this approach in particular, is we talk about wide receivers, wide receivers, wide receivers. And we know how Ballard feels about that because <laughs> he, he had a little uh, had a little showdown with you a couple of years ago about that, right, KB? Yes, um, yes, indeed. Uh -huh. We have the audio somewhere, yes. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, what I would say, though, is one way to look at it, you know, preferably, is weapons and not just wide receivers. And so when you talk about weapons, you, know, you throw Jonathan Taylor in there. You throw tight ends in there. You throw the receivers in there. It's really, I think in today's NFL, you look at it more that way. I mean, Travis Kelsey is a weapon. He's a tight end. Do we ever sure. really differentiate the fact that he's a tight end? 
who cares? We, we don't talk about it that way. And as I said to this on the show yesterday, these guys, the, the Chiefs, they let the most dynamic wide receiver in the NFL walk out the door. Well, they traded him, obviously, but it wasn't free agent. But the point is they let him basically walk away and said, we're good because we have a, a comparable weapon already in-house. And they were right. They've won two Super Bowls since doing that. So, yeah, it's about weapons. I don't care what they play or what position. Uh, I just need if, – if, if I'm a GM, I just need guys who can put points on the board. I don't care what they play. Hey, now, Stephen, they went out and they got Kadarius Tony. okay? So they uh, obviously wanted those weapons. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> Stephen, Older with, Stephen Older with us uh, from ESPN, uh, ESPN.com. You know, if you look at a lot of mock drafts, I'd say, man, I'd say 8 out of 10, if not 9 out of 10, have the Colts at 15 taking a corner. And probably of the yeah. big three or four corners, I would imagine – probably a couple of them at least would be there for the Colts. With that being said, you know, Gus Bradley doesn't want to leave those guys on an island. They already have a room of young guys, and, you know, they could obviously, uh, many Colts fans hope they bring back Kenny Moore as well. Do you think they would take corner at 15? I'm more of a pass rusher probably there uh, at 15, and I guess to piggyback that, which positions are more, hey, let's go do this in free agency rather than maybe through the draft. Uh, I would imagine if they add a corner, I would like to see them add more of a veteran presence there, perhaps. I think that's a, that's a fair point to make. Uh, I, I think they, they had some success with that just a couple of years ago. I mean, I thought the Stephon Gilmore acquisition is a great example of what you're talking about. And while last year they did accumulate a lot of talent at cornerbacks, theoretically, but it was young and, and in some cases injured. And so it didn't really pan out. I do think it's a tough position to play early in your career. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I, th- I think that with pass rushers, you can have – like you can, you can succeed it early at any position. But I, I do think with pass rushers, if you have the raw talent, like, and I mean like if you got a freak, you know, if you have the raw talent, those guys, you know – they they are they are plug and play, you know what I mean. Like they're they're going to have some frustrations because of these veteran offensive tackles and so forth. But I think what the young corners have to deal with and what they have to cope with is so much more complicated because these these quarterbacks are manipulating them. Uh, these these route combinations are so complicated. Uh, they they are in over their heads sometimes. They do have – there are guys who succeed. I mean, we saw what Sauce Gardner did as a rookie. I mean, he was fantastic, sure. right? All pro, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. But, I mean, come on. Like, that's the exception to the rule. Like, he's, he's, he is a freak of his own, you know? So, I don't know. I, it's a fun debate. I don't know how they'll – I don't know how they look at it, the Colts. But I, I think it's an interesting debate. I actually think it's a good question, and I think you're asking the right questions. But we'll have to see how this goes. And, and ultimately – the the available talent will kind of dictate how that goes anyway, because if 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 the depth of the talent when you pick is at one position over the other, you know the answer is going to you know, provide itself for you. You know what I mean? Stephen, we'll end with this. Again, Stephen Holder from ESPN with us here as we are live at the Combine. Good running into you last week at the Pacer game. Do you get community service for going to those games with Jake Query? <laughs> No, you know what? I as I, I told so Derek Schultz was in yesterday, uh, sitting in, 
Uh, and, you know, he's had to spend a lot of time with Jake over the years, so I can relate. Sure, and, yeah. um, Him and I used to have a weekly uh, drink session uh, coping with uh, having to work with Jake, yeah. There you, know, you go, right. What, what I told him is that, look, uh, so the way this works, uh, I have never disclosed this publicly, but I'm going to do it again here. Um, so Jake pays me to spend time with him is, is how it goes. Got so so it. I, I'm, I'm doing a service, really, is what I'm doing. Because otherwise, I mean, who would ever hang out with him? Sure. Right. Well, we are approaching the one-year anniversary of Jake forgetting his credential right here in this very corridor, and I, I could hear him through the doors yelling, do you know who I am? What time? That was at 6.59 before they went on the air at yeah. 7.01, Stephen. That's uh-huh. the thing. Calling yeah. me, begging the me answer, to come outside and vouch for him, yeah. The answer to do you know who I am is no. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> yeah, that was a, uh, it was a humbling moment, certainly, for uh, Jake Quarry. Well, you can't do that at the Combine. There's coaches and GMs and everything else roaming around. Exactly. You know? Big-time media members. Come on. Exactly. Yeah. Steven, so that, we, <laughs> uh, yeah, that must have been very enjoyable, I'm sure. <laughs> Steven, safe travels down here. We'll see you in a bit for what should be a busy Colts day. All right, guys. See you soon. All right, back at it. We're live from the – Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The NFL Combine on this Wednesday will be here Thursday and Friday, set to have uh, Colts General Manager Chris Ballard will be joining us uh, coming up tomorrow. Shane Steichen set to join JMV later today. I need to text JMV. That's going to be either in the late part of the 3 o'clock hour uh, or the 4 o'clock hour. Steichen going to be at the podium here on the convention center at 3.30. All right, let's go on out to the Payless Liquors hotline. Scott Agnes joins us. We move him up a day because he was in attendance. First, we can talk Pacers with him, but uh, he was in attendance last night. Oh, we got to talk fire uh, a lot. Uh, of course we do. At Assembly Hall, uh, Scott, uh, appreciate you joining us. What was the scene last night? Did you hear the alarm for a few minutes before they made you evacuate? What happened? What did you see? And did you make it outside, <laughs> I guess, before being herded back inside to watch the final 10 minutes between IU and Wisconsin? <laughs> Yeah, good morning, boys. So yesterday was definitely interesting. I've gone to hundreds of IU men's and women's basketball games, and this was a first. It just reminded me of a classic, like, the popcorn machine is going off and and set off the fire alarm at your local middle school or high school type game. And so I think for that reason, at least from my observation, I was like, all right, so people are just going to stay in their seats. We're going to keep it moving. We'll turn it off here in about 20 seconds. Well, it happened, guys, right after the right at the end of the 12 minute timeout, and it was uh, Wisconsin trailing by four. They scored two quick layups, yep. and, and yeah, I heard the yep. alarm. I you, what was most interesting to me was you know those uh, fire alarm markers where it has kind of that flashing like a flash bulb every second. Yep. There was one of those that all four corners of the court in addition to elsewhere. So I'm very curious, like, if you're a player, like, that would have annoyed you. That would have gotten in your way. You would have noticed that. Um, And I'm surprised. I didn't see anyone on the court, like, go to the official, hey, what's that or what's going on? I can understand why why some 
uh, especially courtside, did not hear the fire alarm. I heard it from my seat. I could also look out in to the lower level, like um, entryways, let's call it, and see those sirens and, and uh, the lights going off there as well. But at the at the bottom, maybe just because the noise in a college basketball game makes it difficult to hear uh, the announcement going on. The people around me were unsure what was going on. I immediately recognized it as a fire alarm, but didn't know, all right, now what's the protocol? Do we get up? Uh, is this one of those? We're good. Someone just pulled a prank here. What are we doing? So finally, I look up, and in section H and J in particular across from me, the ushers are moving down, walking down from where they stand down to say, all right, guys, we got to go. You know, I need you to exit. So eventually, then they stopped the game. No announcement was made. I could see the the, uh, IU head of facilities open up a binder, I'm guessing, looking at, like, what's protocol here? What do we do now? Uh, And then eventually, uh, you know, about two minutes later, uh, we all, everybody got up and started making our way outside where at that point the scuttlebutt amongst fan was something about the weather. It was a tornado warning. I was like, no, nah, I don't think that was it at all. So we get outside. We're probably not out there, guys, five minutes before we're let back in. Scott, what was, um, again, Scott Agnes inside of Assembly Hall last night when the fire alarm went off, game stopped for about 15, 20 minutes. What was Jeremy Gray, PA-wise, uh, did, did he make any sort of announcement? Uh, I, I, I was shocked, I guess, that Peacock lacked so much information. Like, to me, there was, like, nothing. I mean, Jordan Cornette and Josh Pastner and I forget the host in the studio, they had nothing of info there. Was there anything in arena that Jeremy Gray shared with you guys from a PA standpoint? Yeah, so I did not hear or see anything. I was watching down there closely uh, to see if anyone noticed, if you know, anything like that. And I, again, I saw the facilities guy scramble, and he clearly don't, knew what was going on and was trying to attack it. Um, but I did not hear any announcement. Um, and that's, that's probably one of the things that uh, made it different or unique is people are wondering, you know, what is going on for those that maybe didn't recognize the fire alarm? Because it wasn't a constant necessarily noise i wouldn't say um and every let's call it every minute there was some kind of automated announcement coming from the fire uh fire alarm uh, kind of a lady uh that was announcing something um but anyway no there was nothing made over over the top hey we please exit this is a fire alarm anything like that and i think to your point as well because of the lack of info given on the peacock broadcast i think that's where maybe some fans in attendance were getting text messages from those at home about what was going on, and maybe that's where the weather thing rumor came up. And maybe that was because of what was happening over in Evanston, I think, with the women's program where they actually had a legit weather concern uh, where they were. But once we got outside, everyone was just trying to figure out what was going on. And I thought, uh, you know, it made me think of all the different things that might come from this because of the uh, the fire alarm and the, where the vehicles are parked and where we're supposed to go out outside because of this moment. What would you say number of fans that return, like percentage-wise? Would you say it's pretty close to the same amount of people that, I guess, started the game there? No, not even close. I'd probably go mm. 40%. Really? Really? Yeah. I, I tweeted originally about half were returning, and that was because that was right in the moment when people were still literally walking down the aisle into their seats. But I would say about less than half returned. Already the upper balcony on one of the sides was rather empty. Um but yeah, about half. Uh, I'm guessing they were already outside. Let's let's. Uh, you only had ten minutes left. 
Um, and after an 18-minute delay, I guess they decided either to get a head start on home or maybe the students went elsewhere. Scott Agnes with us, Fieldhouse Files. We can dive into the Pacers here uh, in just a second. Two-part question, uh, and last one on the IU side for me. Do you think it affected the game? Greg Gard of Wisconsin thought it did. Of course, he was on the losing <laughs> side and took a took kind of a bad loss last night. He doesn't win road uh, Big Ten games, obviously. And then Khalil Ware was fantastic. You watch so much college and NBA. What do you think uh, at the next level how he'll translate? Again, a great Great night, 27-11 and 11 for Khalil Ware last night. Yeah, I think there's no doubt in terms of the game and the impact, Both, first of all, for both teams, just because of the unusualness of it. To have an 18-minute delay like there was in the middle of a high-stakes competition, that's tough. It's, you know, and even what made it even worse, actually, was they returned with, I think, 10.06 on the clock, which I got some humor out of it, by the way, because – uh, the uh, alcohol sales ends, by the way, right at the 10-minute mark. So I thought it was oh boy. hilarious at the note how, uh, and I don't know if they for sure were still even serving at that point, but technically, normally they would until the 10-minute mark, and it was 10.06. Um, but yeah, Wisconsin had scored not just the last two possessions, but it scored layups. So I can see and understand his frustration as those two layups tied it up at 54, and now we got a stoppage. It almost, you know, from his standpoint, he's thinking, hey, this allowed IU to regroup and, and talk things over. I'd be very curious to, to hear what from the players, from their perspective on what they went, what they did. Do they do anything formal like review film or were they scrambling and worried about what was going on and those sorts of things? Um, and then if, I, if you're IU, you just, you're trying to overcome, here we go, another, just another thing we got to deal with. Um, this season, and then, and in terms of of where, I mean, he's absolutely got the the size and the body right. He obviously needs to put on, on put on some weight, um, and, and just get game reps. That's what I see from him because when he puts it together, it's special, right? Much like we saw last night, we even saw him put him on the, put it on the floor more. He was finishing around the basket. I think his touch can improve a little bit more as well. Um, to me, he's a guy who's just so young, but has has the skill set that's there. He's just got to put the full package together with at least a couple more years of, of, of kind of true development um, down the road. Scott, were you in the building last year when the bolt fell out of the old jumbotron? I don't think I was. Yeah, that was the Ohio State game. Almost hit Bryce Sensabaugh. That honestly, that's. Uh, one of those instances what kind of went through my head last night, certainly not an evacuation standpoint, but uh, you had to delay the game for a little bit there last year inside of Assembly Hall. All right, Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files, very considerate of him to uh, bump up a day with us as he was in the building last night as a fan inside of Assembly Hall, shifting gears to the Pacers tonight. Aaron Neesmith listed as questionable as the Pacers take on the Pelicans. Do you have any questions on if Aaron E. Smith will simply just slide back in the starting lineup and Benedict Mathern will move you know, back into that normal kind of second unit spot if and when Neesmith does return? Yeah, Neesmith's been interesting just because we haven't got a lot of great details other than, hey, it's, it's an injury not as bad as we thought, and it's hopefully going to be a short-term one. So him being, him being questionable uh, again here for tonight's game, that's a, that's a positive thing as they wrap up this four-game homestand. I would assume he slots right back into his spot, mostly because we've seen how much they value kind of individual roles in terms of where they're at and what it means, the trickle-down effect. Um, I know Matherin's had some good games here the last couple, but um, I, I, I mean, if, if Neesmith's good enough to go, I would think he's good enough to start, assuming he has his game wind 
uh, a little bit. Um, I would presume he would be on some kind of minutes restriction, um, but we have not heard. They did not practice, obviously, yesterday coming off the back-to-back. But whether it's tonight or whether it's on this upcoming road trip with their next three in a row starting 10 of 15 in March, uh, the Pacers definitely need him back because it's coming up on that crunch time right now where every game matters in terms of that seeding. Yeah, and you mentioned Scott Agnes with us. You mentioned this, Scott. You know, you wake up this morning, and you could easily be the four seed, but you're not. You're the eight seed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, so many things can change over the next month and a half. But do you have a theory on why they go? Why they is it inexperience? Is it youth? What is it that they have some of these games like they had the other night against Toronto, and especially defensively? where they can just be so bad and it can quite frankly lose them the game like it did the other night. No, nothing that jumps out to me about like this matchup. I know some fans were looking at Toronto who had a up and down, you know, first 50 games of the season just because there was a lot going on within that franchise, new coach trades, all of that. Uh, but Toronto's better than their 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 record indicates. They they're a type of team how they are built that gives the Pacers fits because they're they're long, they're athletic, they switch everything, and their defensive pressure was really impressive, and that's what bothered the Pacers. And so, if anything, Andy, I might say that what happened to them on the offensive end when they were getting a little bit uncomfortable, where they took that punch to the face, you know, they they didn't respond exactly how uh, you would want for them to do, too. So maybe they just got a little bit too uncomfortable. I don't know. Um, but Toronto's a tough matchup, and New Orleans is the same way. They're mm-hmm. physical. They have the size. Yeah. They have the length on the perimeter. Think Orlando, think Toronto, now think yep. New Orleans. Those are the teams that give the Pacers fits. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how that length bothers Tyrese Halliburton, if at all, here coming up tonight. Scott, last one from me, and it's always kind of an angle we hit with you. You've been over this story a whole lot in the past few years. We know tonight ESPN National and Bally Sports as well. Um, you had a mailbag piece earlier this week, and a listener threw a question in you about you know, how the Suns and the Jazz, and, and again, correct any of this that is wrong, they've put some of their games on a linear channel within their own markets. And the NBA, I think they told teams that they could do that for a few games here at some point this season. Is that accurate? Is that something the Pacers might do to try and reach an audience that has not joined the Bally crew, if you will? Yeah, so first of all, I can tell you everything going on seemingly behind the scenes with with the Diamond Sports Group and with Bally Sports Indiana. And when it comes to the business side, Still very complicated, uh, even for those involved, um, who are, we're, as we're all trying to kind of learn on the fly with, based on the court proceedings and, and, you know, all the things that have been filed and approved and what's pending, all that sort of stuff. But uh, simply put, those teams with Bally Sports, um, at least those, I think it was 13 teams within the, uh, that were included in the bankruptcy filing, I, um, were given the option to, uh, move at le- up to 10 of their local games from the network to an over-the-air station on a trial run. I believe New Orleans, for example, is one of those teams. My rough estimate is it's a half dozen to maybe 10 teams that have, have used that option. The Pacers have not. I know there are stations interested in here locally. Um, have not heard anything about it, about why or why not. But the, the curious, curiosity guy in me in terms of the sports media nerdness would, would be curious to see what that would look like because one of the biggest things um, 
that I feel like has been missing for those that haven't had the regional sports network since it's moved off the streaming packages is are you missing out on some of your young audience to build that relationship with, right? It's the same thing I always say with the Indy 500 blackout. The 10-year-old kid that's never gone to the race and can't watch it live won't become obsessed with it because they didn't truly experience the magical part of it. And so many times now we're seeing fans cling on to the stars rather than the local teams. I think that's been one of the big shifts over the last decade. So just from a curiosity standpoint, I would have uh, been fascinated to see what that looked like, what a, a, the rating looked like, and why they were doing that, KB, was to was kind of on a trial test run for these local markets to see what maybe their new audience or a larger audience would look like when given – when put over the air, which means you can pick it up just with an antenna, much like you would your NFL weekend football games. But we have not seen that happen here. And yes, again, tonight's game will be on ESPN. It's their first nationally televised game, but it will also be on Valley Sports with the usual crew. He is the ever versatile, ever versatile Scott Agnes in the building last night at Assembly Hall, giving us that on-site reporting and a little Pacers chatter, of course, as well. Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files. Scott, uh, maybe I'll see you again at the Combine, man. And as always, thank you for uh, making time for us and adjusting the schedule a little bit. Absolutely. Yep. See you today. Later. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Thanks, Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard meeting with the media this afternoon around uh, late 3 o'clock into the 4 o'clock hour. Shane Steichen set to be on with JMV. We'll have Chris Ballard tomorrow at about 9.30 here live from uh, Radio Row at the NFL Combine. All right, let's jump into it from the Athletic. Dane Brugler joins us. Uh, he's on set. Dane, we appreciate you hanging out with us, man. What's going on? How's everything going this week for you? No, oh, it's a busy week, but I love Combine week. It, it, a chance to come to Indianapolis and learn as much as we do about these players and it's just a pivotal part of the process and it just helps that it's in Indianapolis because a I can drive here I, I, that, <laughs> I love that any chance I, have, I can drive instead of flies is plus in my book but uh, this city is just so perfect for uh, this event and you know everything that goes on and so it's love doing this every year uh, did you drive in this morning or was it last night we had the uh, tornado alarms go off last night at 2 a.m. did you hear any of those uh, yeah and no, I've been here since Saturday okay. so it's it's I've been here for a while but yeah, I, the, I was not expecting that. I mean, obviously, I live in Ohio, so I'm used to sure. that kind of weather. Yeah. But it was, what, 70 degrees yesterday? Oh, and that's then, great. Uh, this morning I woke up, and it's 32, and I uh, couldn't sleep last night because I'm uh, worried about, uh, shoot, my car. Is it under a tree? Is it under, you know, like, it's like, geez, what is going on? Sirens telling everyone to disperse from the bars. Yeah. It's time to call tonight, combine yeah. folk, and, and get started here. Uh, defensive players meeting the media earlier. Yeah. The edge rushers. Uh, Dane, I... I 
I can't get away from that position for the Colts at 15. Yeah. I, I just feel like a twitchy guy off the edge. I hear Chris Ballard likes those guys. Yeah. He certainly does. Um, and they have spent some high draft picks on those guys over in the Ballard era. Give me some names at 15 that fit kind of that mold of the speedy edge twitchy guy. Well, it'll be interesting to see which pass rushers are off the board at that point. And I think this is an interesting draft because it's offensive Will heavy. any of them be off the board? That, that, that's a good question. I think offensive heavy the first – 10 picks, and then who's going to be that first defensive player drafted? Uh, it could be one of the corners. It could be one of these pass rushers. It could be Byron Murphy, the defensive tackle from Texas. Uh, I think it's really going to be up in the air who that first defensive player drafted is. And then at 15, uh, is Dallas Turner still there from Alabama? Um, you know, Trop Robinson's really interesting. He's going to test off the charts here uh, with that first step. He's, he, a lot of these guys, you know, Jared Verse from Florida State is a good example. He's a very well-rounded pass rusher, easy to like him. He's going to be a day-one starter. Uh, but with a guy like Chop Robinson, he has that one trait that separates him, and it's that first-step quickness, that burst. It's different. It's very, very rare to find guys with that type of first-step burst. Uh, but is he good enough everywhere else as a run defender? And you know, Because you, you have to be a more well-rounded player. You can't just have that, that first step. So these pass rushers, it's not like – past years where we've had a Miles Garrett or the Boses and the top 10 guys, but there's still some quality pass rushers in the, the middle of the first round right when the Colts are picking, and you know that I could see why they'd be interested in, in Verse or Chop Robinson uh, or, or Dallas Turner. I think all three would make sense. He's Dan Brugler from The Athletic. Outstanding draft coverage. The Beast, we've talked about this before, all-encompassing. Uh, when is it coming out? And, and give us a rough estimate on how many pages this thing is going to be this year. Uh, it's 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 hard to even uh, describe the, the the number of you know the word count, the page number, all that. It, it's hard. It's, it stresses me out imagining you producing it. I'll be honest. It with stresses you. me out just well, like he's about not going to hit save on the word document well, or what? <laughs> it's just. I mean, I can't even imagine putting all that work in. I mean, how many how many prospects did you do last year? Uh, I mean, there were 400 reports, and I mean, well over almost 2,000 guys ranked uh, with all the pro day information, all the data. All this that is stuff. great info. Yeah. This oh, is yeah. not just yeah. you're just yeah. listing guys in here. No. And, and it usually comes out when? First week in April is always the goal because okay. I want to get all the pro day information in there sure. for March. And I mean, I need up until the day before I am adding stuff in there based off what I'm hearing and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, every year we have... 35 guys that aren't here at the combine that get drafted. So trying to figure out who those guys are, um, you know, what's the late buzz from different teams. It's uh, it's it, it takes a full year to get that thing done. I uh, did want to make sure we share this. The Colts did now. Shane Steichen, unfortunately, a little under the weather, so they're actually going to postpone his media availability, which was supposed to be mm-hmm. today at 3:30. I assume that means he won't go on with JMV a yeah, little we'll bit see. later okay. today. So Chris Bowers still at 1:30. Did want to make sure we snuck that in here. Again, Dane Brugler from the Athletic live here at the NFL Combine. Dan, you had a tweet earlier this week about multiple teams having Malik Neighbors ahead Mm -hmm. of Marvin Harrison Jr. For us in Big Ten country, that seems wild. Like, why? Why are there multiple speed. teams? It's just yeah. pure speed. And, and Malik Neighbors, he, in most years, he's the easy wide receiver one. And, and it's not anything against Marvin Harrison Jr. It's just it's it's pure preference. And I, people have to remember that there's no such thing as consensus when we talk about draft and how each one of these teams feel. Quarterbacks are all over the place. Receivers are all over the place. Even as good as Marvin Harrison Jr. is, he is not the consensus wide receiver one for, for every team. And 
that speaks again more to Malik Neighbors and how good of a player he, he is. He's still just 20 years old, not even 21 yet. And it, to see what he's done the last two years, this year he accounted for 34 plays with 20 plus yards. Nobody came close to that this year. Uh, his you, you really see his seven on seven background because he can get open, he can create with the ball in his hands. Uh, if if Malik Neighbors ends up being the first non quarterback drafted this year, I don't think it'd be a surprise. Dane Brugler with us uh, here from the Athletic. Uh, lots of names we talked a lot uh, about the defensive linemen. Corners, I mean, you mm-hmm. look at a lot of mock drafts, I would say 9 out of 10 of them almost have the Colts there at 15, taking a corner. I, I, I'm a little, I don't know, I'm a little, I, I'm in the gray area with that because they already have a lot of young guys mm-hmm. uh, in that room, but you always need more corners. Um, at corner, how would you rate those guys that could be taken, who could be left there for Chris Ballard at 15? Similar to pass rusher, I think there will be like three guys that would be, if I'm, the, I'm, I'm on my board that I'd be looking at, that we'll see if they make it to 15. Terry and Arnold from Alabama, who, you know, I think Kool-Aid McKinstry is the guy that had most of the pub. But when you watch Alabama tape, one of those two corners is the more athletic and the more competitive, and that's Terry and Arnold. Uh, I, I think that uh, Quinion Mitchell belongs in that conversation from Toledo, who he's six foot, 200 pounds, going to run a 4-3, low 4-3s here at the Combine. Mm-hmm. But I love when you watch his tape, you see a guy that there's no panic to his game, the way he plays. Uh, you, lo- you love the composure. Uh, you love the ball skills, elite ball skills. The last two years at Toledo had 46 passes defended. That's wow. an insane number. Uh, and then the third guy would uh, be Nate Wiggins from Clemson, who a little, you know, he's he's leaner than you want, and that's kind of the, what you worry about, just the physicality aspect. But he's really sudden. Uh, love the athlete. He's 6'2". He has length. So I, I think all three of these guys will appeal in some way to, uh, to the Colts and what they might be looking for. Okay, Dane Brugler is with us here, NFL Draft Analyst at The Athletic. The Beast is one of the greatest uh, <laughs> productions I've ever seen. It happens Thank each you. year from Dane. Uh, first week in April is a projection on that, so uh, your athletic subscription covers it. So nope. uh, it is a great, great piece there. Dane, I want to get specific into the pass catcher position and guys after the catch. And yeah. I know I'm a little specific there with that ingredient, but I look at the Colts, I think, Boy, they've got a lot of power forwards in that wideout room. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they've got some big guys. Josh Downs, I think, is a nice slot player right. moving forward. Guys after the catch, wideout or tight end, what are some names we need to be looking for there? I mean, we have to have the Brock Bowers conversation, right? I mean, he's, to me, that is the most interesting fit uh, when you talk about the Colts and would they really go in that direction. I, Brock Bowers is just not your normal tight end. You know, he's just he's a hybrid. He's a guy that the, the Georgia offense, Offense, they built their entire game plan around the tight end, and it's he's versatile. He can line up in line, but you want him in the slot. You want he's he's basically a receiver, uh, but he can line up wide. He can do that no problem. Uh, he's going to be six two and change, two hundred thirty five pounds. He's going to run really well. He's got speed. Uh, his ability at the catch point is awesome. But then uh, to your point, what he can do with the ball in his hands. He is the master of hidden yards. You know, it, uh, what is a normal seven-yard gain for, for most guys? He's getting 11 yards because he's so tough, so hard to bring down, and he, he finishes through uh, through the play. So I, Brock Bowers, if he's there at 15, would be a fascinating pick. And, and just you have to have a plan for him, you know, because, again, he's not just your uh, normal tight end. He's not a normal wide tight end. He's a hybrid. He's a flex guy. You know, you use him as a, as a joker who – 
can line up in line, but you line up by the backfield. You want line up in the slot, line up out wide. Steichen and the offensive staff, do they have a plan in place for a guy like that? If they do go more of a traditional wide receiver than, you know, like a Malachi Corley in the second round makes sense. I mean, they call him the Yak King. So, uh, I mean, it kind of speaks to what he can do with the ball in his hands. There's a lot of Debo Samuel to what he does. Uh, I like the sound of that. A lot of screens, a lot of quick hitters, and let him go to town. He is he is jacked. I mean, he looks like a built running back. Uh, but before the catch, he's a receiver. After the catch, he really is a running back with the, the mentality that he runs with. So, I'm really interested with the Colts situation at receiver. Obviously, you've got a young quarterback. You want to get better in terms of the skill around him. What is their plan? You know, do they really believe Alec Pierce is a true starter on the outside, or they try to? I, I think you know, look to upgrade on the outside. Maybe a Brian Thomas in the first round, or a lot of the. There's this is a really deep wide receiver. I'm convinced the rest of our lives, receiver is going to be a deep receiver, or it's going to be a deep part of the draft. It's just every year we see these guys, uh, all the talent available. So. Wait until the second round, draft uh, Adonai Mitchell or Keon Coleman, someone like that. Uh, I'm really interested to see how the Colts go about addressing the skilled players, uh, specifically the wide receivers and the pass catchers for their young quarterback. What do you believe is kind of the, the truth around Caleb Williams going number one? And then, you know, the great thing for the Colts is we have to feel like at least four quarterbacks are mm-hmm. going to be taken. J.J. McCarthy is going before 15. Do you feel that way as well? I think he's going top 12. I do, yeah. There's so many teams that need a quarterback, and I think he's going to crush it here at the Combine, the intangible factor. I, fans roll their eyes when you talk about quarterback win-loss records, but every team that I've talked to when you talk about J.J. McCarthy, they always break. 36-2 and two in high school with a state championship, 27-1 and one with a national championship at it's Michigan. That matters to teams. And so fans can roll their eyes all they want, but if it matters to teams, then it's relevant. And he's a guy that is – they didn't ask him to be uh, – you know, carry the offense and continually push the ball downfield. That doesn't mean he can't do it. He can't continue to develop. And so, yeah, there's a – risk involved but you know Anthony Richardson had under 400 career pass attempts sure. last year at this time so sure. you know you're, you're taking risk with all these guys and you look at the teams the Falcons at 8 the uh, Vikings at 11 the Broncos at 12 Raiders at 13 they're just too many teams that are quarterback desperate because uh, I, I think we're going to see quarterbacks go 1-2-3 this year uh, really I think we're going to see quarterbacks go 1-2-3 and we're going to see receivers go 4-5-6 I think there's a very good chance that's mm-hmm. how it plays out um, it's just a matter of of who are, who's making those picks. Uh, I think the Bears go one, uh, Commanders just stay at two. What do the Patriots do? Do they right. stay at three? Do they love the third guy? Uh, or, you know, this is not a rookie quarterback team away, you know, away from competing if you're the Patriots. They love picks. They need picks. So wouldn't be surprised if we see the Falcons move up to three, the Raiders move up to three to get that third quarterback. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how that all shakes out. Again, Dane Brugler is with us here live at the NFL Combine, NFL Draft Analyst for The Athletic. I don't think I'm catching you off guard with this name because you mentioned this name. Uh, I was listening to Prospects to Pros, mm-hmm. a great podcast that um, you do, and you mentioned the name Tyrone Tracy as an intriguing guy yeah. that you like locally. He is certainly a name that rings a bell. Decatur Central is about, what, a handful of miles away from Lucas Oil Stadium uh, and obviously transferred from Iowa to Purdue. Right. So you like Tracy as kind of a day three type of running back option? Yeah, I do. He, You know, that receiver, running back blend, he's kind of a hybrid of both with the, what he can give you. And so he's got special teams background. When you're talking day three at that position, you're looking for a guy that can do the dirty work, can 
help you on special teams. Uh, he can uh, help you in so many different phases. So it, he's he wears a lot of hats, and I think he can do that. I, I'm eager to see how he tests here because I think he'll test pretty well. And, uh, you know, he might, on the surface, like you just look at the raw stats, may, might, might not jump out at you. But you watch his film, and you see a really talented player, a guy that's an athlete who, uh, again, does a lot of different things, with it, whether it's lining up in the backfield, whether that's being more of a receiver, uh, playing special teams, all of that comes into effect and something that I think teams, coaches really, really like and a guy that I think some teams will target on day three. Biggest um, non-medical Michael Penix related question for you is what? Um, I, I don't know that there's anything here that he can, because I think he, he's got a good arm and he's going to show it off. Um, I, the, the medicals do play a factor, obviously. I, the thing with him that you want repeatable mechanics, you want uh, repeatable in terms of his anticipation over the middle of the field. That's where I feel like his tape, uh, you didn't see that necessarily all the time. My thing with Michael Penix that I keep coming back to is the mental toughness. When you look at quarterbacks that have made it and haven't made it, what's the common theme of the guys that have busted is they just didn't have that mental toughness to get through, uh, to, to survive all the mistakes. And I think Michael Penix, you look at the four season-ending injuries. You know, you look at after he left Indiana, Washington was the only Power 5 school that offered him. Um, like, he's overcome so much adversity. The last three games against Oregon, they were the under, underdogs in every single game. Like, he's overcome a lot. So I think that mental adversity is going to help him when he gets to the NFL. Because when you play quarterback in the NFL, mistakes are going to come. Inevitable. Do you have the mental toughness to brush him off and be better because of it? That's what, you know, you look at a guy like Jalen Hurts, uh, all the mistakes he made his first two years, he was better because of that, and he made it through the other side. A lot of quarterbacks can't do it, and, you know, they just don't have that in them. I, I do think that Penix has the right mental makeup and the wiring uh, that you want at the position. So that is why, even though I, I'm not, I don't love some of the stuff I see on tape, I'm not going to write him off because of that, that the, the mental stuff, the intangibles that he offers. Dane Brugler with us uh, here on The Fan. A couple more minutes before we get you out of here. Uh, just your impression, your thought, boy, it, uh, on Anthony Richardson. It was so disappointing for us seeing him. Oh, yeah. So very little in college. And then the injury issues, uh, you know, here this first year in the NFL. NFL. From what you saw, what do you think? I mean, I, you have to be optimistic, right? With what with the little that we did see, um, I, it's he's such a unique talent. Um, you know, we at this time last year when we were talking about Anthony Richardson, it was like, oh, well, he's only had one year as a starter and under 400 uh, career pass attempts, and it's like we just don't know. And but if he went to the right spot with the right play caller, the right offensive ecosystem around him, it it could be fireworks. And I, I think that's what happened here with the Colts and. So really, wasn't sure how the offensive line was going to work, and it seemed like they started to gel, at least made a big jump Mm -hmm. from the previous year. That was a big part of it. So now it's about, okay, keeping them healthy, and what do we need to do this offseason to further that development? Is that adding another outside receiver? Is that, uh, you know, adding more depth on the offensive line? Whatever that ends up being – 
the quarterback, it feels like they have the quarterback. Now let's make sure we're maximizing what he can be. And the, I, the Colts are must-see TV. And you couldn't say that two years ago. Uh, but now, as a general football fan, the Colts are must-see TV to see what Anthony Richardson can do. Yeah, they were bad and boring a couple years ago. They, I don't <laughs> think, are either of those moving no. forward. Certainly not the boring part. And last year, they were not bad uh, by any means. Dane, can't thank you enough, man. No, you're no. super busy this week. Hope Indy treats you well. Hope the car stays safe. <laughs> and uh, safe travels back to Ohio. All right, thanks, guys.